0: Good morning, everybody. Glad that you could join us. It's quite a a crisp morning here in Harare. I'm hoping that I can stop my teeth from chattering. Um, What I'd like to do uh, at the start is to dedicate this sermon. And I'm not sure if you can dedicate sermons or not. I know you can dedicate books, so why not a sermon? But I'd really like to dedicate this sermon to all of those harvesters that I know who do such an excellent job serving God and other people in the workplace. You guys are, are, are an incredible inspiration to me, and uh, I'm really humbled. Actually, how you cope with the situation that we find ourselves in here in Zimbabwe. So this, this sermon is dedicated to you. We're going to have a look at responsibilities in the workplace today, uh, as you might have gathered. Ephesians chapter six. This is actually our last sermon on Ephesians. We we started an, an awfully long time ago in March last year, in fact. So Ephesians chapter six. Verse 5, and and just to say, I so enjoyed um, the way that uh, Craig handled the topic of spiritual warfare, the armor of God, last week. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your blessing on our time together. We pray that you would inspire us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us as we turn to your word. And we thank you so much for your word, which is timeless and which can be applied no matter what situation or circumstances we find ourselves in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like to read to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I wonder if you recognize those words. They, they come from the Constitution of the United States of America, which was designed to protect the rights of ordinary citizens from the government. And that's because at the time, the citizens of, of America had just fought um, a, a war of independence. Because they believed that the British government was stepping on their rights as settlers and pioneers in America. And of course a similar thing happened a lot closer to home in South Africa when apartheid fell. Um, A new constitution was created and it really is one of a kind, whereas other constitutions uh, protect the rights of citizens from the government, the South African constitution also seeks to protect the rights of one citizen from another or one group from another. So the development of democracy throughout history has been to redress injustices committed either by the government or by one group of citizens. And this is a good thing. However, as so often happens, the desire to overcome one evil often leads to an imbalance which causes another evil. And so what is the imbalance? An excessive focus on personal rights has led humans to do two things. First of all, people will often be so focused on their own personal rights and be fighting so aggressively for their own personal rights that they actually end up crushing the rights of those around them. They don't end up championing the rights of those who are oppressed. And the second thing that has happened is that this excessive focus and interest in personal rights has led to a global pandemic of entitlement. And of course, the bloggers and the authors and the social commentators are writing and talking about this all the time. You just need to Google the word entitlement and you'll see exactly what I need. Now, This pandemic of uh, entitlement is particularly bad in the West, we see it in South Africa, but don't think that we're exempt from it in Zimbabwe, because there is no place with a greater sense of entitlement and focus on rights than the Zimbabwean workplace. What do I mean by that? Well, take, take workers for example. Workers believe that they are entitled to fat salaries and perks irrespective of their productivity and how well the company is doing. But don't think that employers are exempt because we see in Zimbabwe a situation where employers believe that they are entitled to even fatter salaries and perks irrespective of whether their companies are productive or not, whether they're producing a good service, whether they are um, supplying good products. And often they do all of this at the expense of worker welfare and also the welfare of their customers so let's think about how we can resolve this problem the way paul suggests that we do it is by concentrating on responsibilities notice that paul doesn't focus on rights in this passage he emphasizes responsibilities he wants christians to be more focused on their responsibilities than on their rights now this is not to say that we shouldn't fight for our rights we shouldn't insist on our rights but what he's saying is first of all attend to your responsibilities and don't sacrifice your responsibilities for the sake of trying to attain your rights just take a look at the text he doesn't say masters you have a right to be served with a sincere heart And nor does he say, slaves, you have a right to be treated without being threatened. Instead, he says, slaves, your responsibility is to serve as if you're serving Christ. And he says, masters, your responsibility is to return good for good and not to threaten. As a matter of fact, fact, Paul does this throughout the household codes that we've been studying over the last few weeks. He says, wives, these are your responsibility. Husbands, these are yours. Children, parents, and so on and so forth. It's not that the different parties don't have rights. After all, these rights are actually implied in the responsibilities. It's just that he's approaching things from a different angle. And it's much healthier for us as Christ followers to focus on responsibilities rather than on rights. And it's the same for human beings as well. But I wonder why that would be. But just think about it for a moment. Our biggest problem as human beings is selfishness. It's self-centeredness. So in no time at all, we become more focused on our rights than on our responsibilities. And we start to neglect our responsibilities. We're seldom in danger of doing the opposite, (laughs) where we're so focused on our responsibilities that we're not worried about our rights. But you know what? If you are rights-focused you will inevitably believe that you are owed something. And you'll feel that maybe you're experiencing some sort of an injustice. And when that happens, you will start to compromise your responsibilities so as to balance the injustice. And so you'll start to neglect your responsibility. Oh no, well this this guy's not paying me what I have a right to be paid. And often we don't have a clear perception of what that should be But because he's not paying me, he's not fulfilling my rights, therefore I'm not going to work as hard or I'm going to steal from the company or whatever it might be. And this is just not the way for Christians. Christians, we need to look to our rights, uh, a big part, look to our responsibilities and then fight for our rights. We mustn't fight for our rights whilst compromising the responsibilities. Christians, after all, are Christ followers. Did Christ, for example, insist on his right to a fair trial at the expense of his responsibility to obey God and to love us? Thank heaven he didn't. He went ahead and he died on the cross. And today we're going to unpack the responsibilities in the workplace. So we're going to have a look at your responsibility as somebody who works and remember employers work as well. And then your responsibility as an employer Specific to that and in each case the motivation that Paul gives because that's very important as well So let's begin number one your responsibility as a worker Here's the proposition serve with respect and sincerity as if you're serving the Lord Serve with respect and sincerity as to the Lord and I get that from verses five and six Let's just read it again bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by way of eye service as people pleases but as bond servants of Christ in other words he sees us as being ultimately serving servants of God doing the will of God from the heart but just notice something I've tried to contextualize Paul's command by saying serve rather than obey. And let me just explain why. It's because in Paul's day, the workplace was extremely autocratic. The master gave the orders and the slave obeyed on pain of punishment or even in pain of death. But today, the workplace is not the same, um, I, I suppose, unless you're in the military. For most of us, although we're under authority or accountable to others, we're not given direct orders daily. Although we work under or are accountable to others, maybe it's a boss or shareholders or a board of directors, we still have a lot of say in what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and when we're going to do it. So to be more relevant to today's workplace, I think we should frame this responsibility more in terms of service than obedience. We should see our work as service to others and above all to God. And this idea of work as service, it's sort of a broader concept than work as obedience, although it certainly does imply obedience. But what does work as service to Christ actually look like? Serve with respect as to the Lord. Work as service is characterized by fear and trembling. Now that's a, a, a difficult thing. Fear and trembling primarily for Christ, because we are his servants. Now, why would that be? Why would there be a certain amount of fear and trembling, in inverted commas, associated with this? Well, it's easier to be a people pleaser because people don't see everything, but Christ does. You are performing literally for an audience of one. Your boss might not see, but Christ does. And that's why there needs to be a certain amount of sobriety, of, of, um, of fear and trembling, as Paul puts it here. You might think that your skiving isn't noticed by the boss, but God sees it, and he is the real boss. But what does it actually mean to to serve with fear and trembling? And that's difficult to answer because... Those English words, fear and trembling, don't really do justice to the original meaning of the Greek. So what does it mean? It's the fear or reverence that we have that comes from knowing that Christ is both a loving saviour and a coming judge. So let's take the first one. That sense that comes from knowing that Jesus is a loving saviour. We obey in order to show God that we love him. Because he first loved us and he sent his son to die for us, even while we were still rebels. That generates a certain sense about our work, a certain gravity to our work. Wow, if I do this as to Christ, then in some ways I'm just saying to God, I really love you because you first loved me. Christ was a coming, was a savior, but he's also a coming judge. We, we obey because Jesus will judge us not um, on, on the quality of our work and on the quality of our obedience. And Jesus sees all, not only what we do or don't do, but also he sees the motives of the heart, which is quite sobering, isn't it? That brings us to our, our responsibility to serve with sincerity, serve with respect, serve with sincerity as to the Lord. Verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Now what is sincerity? Well it can be decide, defined as if, if I'm being sincere then I'm free from pretense or deceit proceeding from genuine feelings. Now I don't think that that's quite enough because the Hebrews consider the heart not only to be center of the feelings but also the very center of the of the person from which proceeds things like thoughts and motives so we should actually change that definition to read free from pretense or deceit proceeding from genuine feelings and then add genuine thoughts and motives as well so if we are being sincere we are free from pretense or deceit proceeding from genuine feelings Thoughts and motives. So it's not just about feelings, it's also about thinking and motives. In other words, there mustn't be any hidden grumpiness or bad attitude or selfish agendas in your work. No ulterior motives. Don't scheme or manipulate. You might be able to fool man, but you can't fool God. Let me tell you something else for free. If you are working to prove that you are a person, of value or to to earn love from God then you are serving yourself rather than God you're serving yourself rather than others on the surface it might seem like you're serving God admirably it might seem like you're serving other people through your work admirably but ultimately there is a mercenary motive because you're doing it to try and prove that you're a person of value or to try and um, earn love from God and other people Don't do it because we know that we are people of value and worth because we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We know that we're people of value and worth because God created us and He is also a loving Father. He doesn't want us to try and earn those things from Him. But there's more to sincerity. Just look at verses 6 and 7. I'll read it again. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. I've said already that you perform to an audience of one. And for this reason, you actually need to to display the real you all the time, irrespective of the audience. So that principle applies to all areas of our lives. Just a question, is the person that your family sees at home the same person that your colleagues see at work? Is the person that you display at church the same person that your domestic workers see at home? Do those people who are in authority over you see the same person as those who are under you? Folks, we must not be shaped by what we think people want to see but by what God wants to see. That's what it means to serve God with sincerity. And folks, this speaks to the very foundation of our problem, which I've mentioned already. It's selfishness. We would rather serve ourselves than God and others. And you know, we'd also rather exert our own wills than follow God's will. That's why he says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. What will it be? Will it be God's will or your will? And if it's to be God's will, will you obey with a good will? Pure motives, from the heart, or as the NIV puts it, wholeheartedly. Remember that from the heart springs motives, attitudes, emotions, so if we're going to serve God with a willing heart, wholeheartedly, it means that we're going to do it joyfully. It means we're going to do it with the right attitudes and with the right motives. So there we have it. But what is the motivation for this? Why would, um, what, what argument would Paul use to support these commands or these responsibilities? Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. You know, if you work in the way that Paul is describing here, you will receive a reward from God. You're going to receive back good for whatever it is you do. And by implication, if you only work for man, you'll get a human reward. I wonder which you prefer. Would you rather get a human reward by working to please man or would you like to get a divine reward by working to please God? It's up to you. And you know Paul's teaching here must have revolutionized the way that slaves viewed their lot in life. Their life and their work was no longer meaningless. By obeying and serving their earthly masters as though they were serving Christ in the way that was described here he was going to reward them accordingly. He was going to return good to them. And this truth also reminds us that both the master and the slave, both the employer and the employee, have equal value and access to God's reward. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. The man who cleans the toilet seat can earn an equal reward to the one who sits on the board of directors. And this should encourage you when it seems like your work is going unrecognized or unappreciated you are performing for an audience of one and he notices not only that but he's going to reward you no matter how mundane or lowly your work seems to you no matter how difficult it is at the moment how taxing it is it is important to God and let's face it not a single person in harvest um, has work as lowly and as meaningless as a slave And yet even a slave, working as a slave in this way, meant that they would receive a reward from God. So your responsibility as a worker is to serve with respect and sincerity as to the Lord. Why? Because God will reward you. Let's turn now to the responsibility of the employer. Number two, the responsibility of an employer is to return good for good and do not abuse because God is impartial we get this from verse 9 masters do the same to them do the same to them in other words if God returns good for good then you must do the same to your employees then stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him So Paul says to the masters, do the same to them. If God rewards his servants with good, when they do good, then a human master should do the same. I wonder if you're doing this. If you are an authority over others, you have a responsibility to reward them for good work. And remember that you should reward with a clear conscience before God. If you are miserly, God will see. And this is a real challenge for us. I mean, I think often in in terms of my domestic workers, for example, they have done and rendered so much good to us as a family over the years. Am I returning good for good? Do I have a clear conscience before God? Am I happy with the standard um, of their living quarters, for example? So your first responsibility as an employer is to return good for good. But there's another one. Do not abuse. Can you see what Paul prohibits here? He prohibits threatening. Why would Paul ban threats? And, and how does this apply to us today? Well, in Paul's time, masters had authority to brand or to flog or even to kill, and this is under the law, their slaves. So masters would hold this fact over slaves in order to motivate them. Because I've got the power to flog you. You better do a good job. But Paul, Paul was against this. Not only was Paul against the torture and the murder of slaves, but he also didn't even want a hint of it amongst Christians. Don't even threaten that kind of punishment, let alone actually carry it out, he says. But, you know, both the threat and the physical, physical cru- cruelty were abuses of authority. And that's something that, that is still with us today. We still have the abuse of position and authority today authority or position or wealth can give us the power to treat other people badly you know bosses and factory workers can be irritating but the way you treat your boss when he irritates you is probably vastly different to the way that you treat a floor sweeper in your factory so when someone is under my authority and power i can actually treat them badly without fear of retaliation But, you know, it's exactly that abuse of power and authority that Paul is banning here. So your responsibility as an employer is to return good for good and don't abuse your position. Don't abuse your authority. But there's a good reason for this. God is impartial. And if this doesn't fill you with a sense of awe and like we talked earlier of fear and trembling, I don't know what will. Masters do the same to them, stop your threatening. Now here comes the motivation, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. We've already seen that slaves and masters have equal opportunities to be rewarded, but here we learn two more things. First of all, that those in authority over others are themselves under God's authority. It doesn't matter how much authority you have in this world, you are still under God's authority. And both the slave and the master are to serve and obey the same master in heaven. So if you have authority over others, you are actually in a similar position to those under you because God is your master. And though you give orders, you're also under orders from God. And then secondly, God is impartial. Just because you have authority doesn't mean that you are entitled to the favor of God because there is no favoritism with God. So in conclusion folks it is very difficult in the Zimbabwean workplace but as Christians what I would like you to do and what Paul would like you to do is to concentrate on your responsibilities. Make sure that you are carrying out these responsibilities with a clear conscience before God. That doesn't mean that you can't fight for, your, fight for your rights, but don't fight for your rights at the expense of carrying out your responsibilities. Don't think that because you haven't had your rights fulfilled that you can sacrifice your responsibilities and not work as hard as you should or not pay as you should. Don't do that. And never also forget that God's heart is for those who are oppressed. God's heart is for those who are powerless. God's heart is for those who are poor. And so whilst pursuing your own rights, making sure that you fill your own responsibilities, don't forget about the rights of others, about the rights of those who don't have a voice. So your responsibility as a person who works, serve God with respect and sincerity as to the Lord serve others with respect and sincerity as to the Lord because God is going to reward you and then your responsibility as an employer return good for good and don't abuse your position because God is impartial you're not entitled to special treatment just because you happen to be richer or more powerful or have more authority than other people shall we pray Father God, we are so inspired by Christ's example of how he let go so many of his rights in order to love us, in order to serve us. And we want to be people who are the same. Help us not to be entitled people because we're entitled to nothing. Everything that we've received has been an overflowing of your grace to us and we're so grateful for it and lord help us to respond to that by serving others and by serving you in the way that paul has described here today and we pray all of these things in the name of jesus amen thank you so much for for signing in and as i always say look forward to to being with you again in the next few weeks cheers for now